Welcome to Funding and Disrupting, the most in-depth business podcast for companies looking to raise money and the investors who fund them. Every episode, we interview a funded founder plus the investor who funded them to get the real story of how it all came together. If you're searching for funding for a disruptive technology or business, or you're searching for the best companies to invest in, then you've come to the right place. This episode of Funding and Disrupting is brought to you by Aura Collective, a leading tech PR and marketing firm. Let's get funding and disrupting. Good morning and welcome to Funding and Disrupting. Today's guest is Jeffrey Silverman, the managing partner of Laconia Capital Group, investing in technology that's replacing analog workflow. How are you, Jeffrey? I'm doing great. Great to be here. Nice to have you on the show. I'm really fascinated by Laconia Capital Group. I've had the benefit of getting a little bit in, you know, introduced to the company and what it is that you're doing. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to jump in and have you briefly share your background and the formation of Laconia Capital Group. Sounds great. So not to make it too long of a story, I was born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. And yes, now that I've been living 30 years in New York but still a Boston sports fan across the board. So you either love me or hate me, but you're definitely jealous of me. And went to school down in New Orleans. I moved to New York after college and worked in, in media as a media rep for a firm called Telerep. And it was my first introduction into basic technology, but I really loved media. And then after a job at CBS, I had my first taste into startup, the startup world where two of my friends started an in-school advertising company and brought me on board to lead the sales office in New York. And it was a great experience. And after a few years, I left that company and I went to another startup called DoubleClick. And that was in 1996. There was maybe 30, 40 employees. It was Web 1.0. And it really took me from media into technology and understanding how ads are being served. And I spent five years at DoubleClick. We went public. We went from, you know, as I said, 40 or 50 employees to 3,000 employees around the world. It was an overwhelming experience and a tremendous experience. And then I left DoubleClick after we sold the media division, and I took over an early stage technology company based out in San Diego and raised venture dollars for that and high net dollars. And we ran that for about seven years. And during those last two or three years of the company, I started doing some basic angel investing. And what I mean by that was I was writing $25,000 checks to friends of mine who had left DoubleClick and were starting their own businesses. There was no due diligence done. There was nothing. It was just a, what we like to say, a spray and pray type of investing, which is really, really stupid. But what I really enjoyed about it was working with founders. And so when I stepped down from that company, I needed to take a year off to just to catch my breath and decide what I was going to do next. So I started doing more angel investing and I joined an angel group, the New York Angels. And it's where I met my business partner and best friend, David Arcara. And we slowly started to do some investments together and friends of ours outside of the angel ecosystem started saying, hey, can we join you in some of these deals? And over the next two to three years, we made about 25 investments, maybe you know, 25 to 30 investments. And the group came to us in 2014 and said, we'd love to back you in your first fund. We hadn't even thought of doing a fund. So David and I sat down and we really scoped out what we wanted to invest in, 
what stage, what we wanted to really be ourselves get out of it. And in 2014, we launched uh, Laconia Capital Group with our first fund. And as you said earlier in the introduction, we're B2B focused. We had pre-COVID, we focused just on the Northeast. Obviously, with COVID, boundaries have become irrelevant as we all are doing work from home. And we lead or co-lead deals in the seed stage, and we do participate in the A. And we are now currently raising for our third fund, and I've never been more professionally happy in my entire life. Terrific. Well, it's great to hear. So what, it, what exactly is it about tech founders and supporting the next generation of tech companies excites you so much that you're willing to devote the majority of your time? Great question. First of all, the founders can be anywhere from 24 to, let's say, 38 years old, 40 years old. Their energy, their vision, their passion is contagious. So just to be in a room with somebody or founders who are just so driven and see opportunity around every corner is infectious. The other thing is, is you to continue to be a learn. I love learning. I'm a better learner now than when I was in college, which I barely graduated. And it's so funny, but I just <laughs> love sitting in a room and learning about something. So we're now learning about no code and soft code, you know, getting into understanding crypto in a really big way, not just Bitcoin, but everything below it. And so to sit down with these people and have them teach you and have you be able to also provide a perspective of 30 to 40 years of you know work experience to them is a really nice blend. It also helps with parenting that, you know, my kids are 24, 21, and 18. So for me to be able to be like, oh, I was on TikTok nine months before you guys were, keeps them in check. Well, I share a lot of, a lot of your thoughts, especially about learning. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why I appreciate, you know, speaking with you so much is we're, we have a lot in common in those regards. So let me ask you, how easy or difficult is it to find companies worthy of joining Laconia's portfolio? Deal flow is great, but you know we are a different type of VC firm, and every VC firm says that. So the VCs who are listening, yeah, we all say the same thing. We do about four to six deals a year. We are really commit ourselves to these companies. We look like we're building we want to be building, we have been building lifelong relationships with the founders. So even if they don't succeed the first time, we expect to build a really long-term relationship with them that we want to be there for their next try or their next try. You know, if you think about the odds, Ted Williams batted 406. He was the best batter hitter of baseball. That meant that he got out six out of the 10 times he went to the plate. So we might identify a founder that's amazing. And for one reason or another, that company might not work out. But it doesn't mean that that founder is not a true entrepreneur who's going to be successful over the course of their lifetime. So we're looking for people who really want to work with us, who are willing to lean in, who don't get defensive when they're challenged, who love to be a collaborative with investors. We know it's their company. We know it's their business that we cannot tell them what to do, which we're fine with. But we want them to leverage us as the best they can. And so to find someone who meets, checks all those boxes, that has that certain type of DNA, who also is in a sector that we feel we can help. You know, we're not going to go into metal equipment or life sciences. We can't help in that space. So it t- does take time. But once you find that person, there's not a better feeling. Well, that, that's very helpful. And that leads me to my next question. Every investment firm 
has their investment parameters, usually financial, which are very clear cut. But talk to me about Laconia Capital. What type of guidelines does Laconia have that may not be quite as clearly defined, such as the makeup of the founding team or company philosophy, diversity, you know, et cetera? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. So one of my partners in crime, Jerry Karlova, is much more analytical than I am. And I'm much more instinctive. So we'll meet somebody and I'll be like, I really like this person or this team. And Jerry's question to me is like, tell me why. And I'm like, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, that doesn't work for me. I'm like, I know, but I just can't tell you what it is. I just have a sense. And then we'll go through the due diligence process. And We'll start to see is was my gut right? What were they right? Was it are they a great team? And then she'll get to do her magic of due diligence to prove is Jeff completely crazy or was Jeff's instinct right? And David Arcara walks in both worlds with us. I would say to you that we are really focused on founders who want to build a business, not build their brand. They're not going to be in tech star stage. You know, they're not going to be on a stage at some conference trying to build their brand. They're really there to build a business. And what's come out of that, actually, you know, probably jumping around a little bit, so I apologize. But we realize that our founders do not have a peer group because they're so busy building their business, being a leader, hiring, meeting with clients, that they need a peer group. So along with six other VC firms in 2019, we launched a nonprofit called Off the Record. That really is for those that in your audience that know the Young Presence Organization, YPO. And we allow these founders to get together with similar founders and similar titles. So we have a pod of CTOs, a pod of CEOs, and they get together once a month and they're able to share their challenges with each other. Because no matter how much they can lean on us or their other investors, to be in a room with other founders going through the similar challenges you are as a COO or as a CTO is very, very powerful. And so we're looking at those people that want that, that want those types of programs that we provide. Great. I'm, you know, I, I hear this quite often, but I just want to just touch on this a little bit more because, you know, a lot of founders, they're looking for money. They're looking to, you know, to partner with people, but I just, the importance of, of being able to work together. So in other words, you feel like you not only are putting money in, but you actually want to be part of the deal in some sense. You want to have that sense that you're going for the ride, you're getting that excitement. And that's important because, you know, I sit through a lot of pitch presentations and I think that that personal element very often is 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 lost or overlooked because they're more just focused on capital more than building that relationship. So, you would say that that relationship aspect is probably equally as important or maybe even maybe even more probably, important. Probably more important for us. This is like a marriage. You know, we get, right. as I said, we do a number of deals a year. We're not doing 50 deals. We're not doing a spray and pray approach. And there's nothing wrong with those work for some people. But we really develop strong relationships. And we want to work alongside our founders to help them any ways we can. You know, the three areas that we focus in on is we focus in on operational execution. You know, our, our view is there's no such thing as a new idea. It's all about execution. So how do we ensure that they execute as precisely as possible? The second area we focus in, in is sales acceleration. You know, you could have the greatest technology in the world, but if there's no revenue running through it, then what good is it? 
So helping them with their sales pipeline, helping them fill their sales funnel and move down to the thing, how to support their customers, their pricing, all that we'd love to work. We love working with them on and understanding it. And then the third bucket is capital strategy, making sure that they're not raising too much or too little money. Too many times we've seen companies raise too much money and the bar gets set so high that they're bound to fail, which is terrible because this could be a company that's having double or triple growth, but the money they've raised, that's not going to be good enough for, 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 for the expectations of the investors. Or they haven't raised enough money and all of a sudden they're scrambling and they've got to start, as they're starting to get some tailwind, they got to start cutting back. Again, not a great situation. Right. But yes, relationships are really, really important. And we've been really blessed to have some very close relationships. So I'll give you a, a perfect example of what I mean. We had a founder who did an acquire sale of his company after a couple of pivots and the company was challenged with some government regulations. I'm not even getting into details. And in, he pretty much had to shut the company and sell the company around Thanksgiving. He was very depressed. And I call him up and I'm like, well, you're headed back to San Diego to be with your family. And he said, I, I'm just staying in New York. I, I just can't. I'm just numb. You know, I'm really just numb. And I said, you're going to go to Grand Central. You're going to meet at the information booth. My kids are coming to our house in Connecticut by train on Thursday, Thanksgiving morning. You're going to meet them and you're coming up for four days and spending Thanksgiving with us. He's like, I lost your fun money. I was like, you struck out the first time at bat. You're going to have a second and third time at bat. And the odds of you succeeding are be great. And at the end of the day, you're a friend first. He came up. We had a great three or four days with our family. I think you probably saw too much of my family. Um, <laughs> but it was amazing. But that's the relationship I want. This past weekend, another founder who sold his company to Microsoft was up in an area and you know texted me and said, can I come by with my girlfriend and grab breakfast? With you? I was like, love to have you. He sold his company a year and a half ago. Stopped by. We spent Sunday afternoon, Sunday late morning together. Those are the deep relationships we 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 want our goals to forge with our founders. Yeah, those are those are great examples and and illustrating the importance and and I appreciate that. I'm sure the audience will love you know loves to hear that so that they can see a different aspect and that trans. I'd like to use that as a transition to kind of talk about you know presenting companies that are presenting. So in your experience, what would you say are three of the most common mistakes that tech companies commit? when presenting their project? So it depends what stage they're at. I think the most common error people make, and I'll use this as a dating analogy, is they come in and they try to sell you too much too quickly. You know, if you go on a first date with somebody, you don't tell them your entire life history, how you have a terrible relationship with your sister, your mother's crazy, and you did this when you were four years old or seven years old. You just, it's like, you know, you're really purpose of the really the really purpose of the of the of the first pitch of the first date is to leave there and say, really nice person, love to go on a second date with them. Right. That's right. the purpose of a first pitch. Come in, show me that you're you're nice, show me that you got a really interesting product, and show me that you're knowledgeable. I'm gonna go through due diligence, I'm gonna dig into it all, but don't give a porterhouse steak to a newborn child. They'll choke on it. <laughs> and that's why the most common mistake people make, they try to throw too much at you. Right. And they well, try to close if, you on the first date. How about a few other ones? What what else would you say is, is you see very often? They get very hung up on the team slide. They spend five minutes telling you how great their team is. And unless you've got Elon Musk or somebody that everybody knows, you don't need to sell me on your team. There's no one there like, oh my God, you have John Smith? 
you have Julie so-and-so? I don't know them. Now, during due right. diligence, I'm going to get to know them. So it's more of like, I'm there to focus on you and your team, on you and your founders. I'm not going to assume you've hired great people. And through due diligence, I'm going to meet them most likely. But don't spend five to 10 minutes on a pitch about that. And then the third thing is, is they haven't, two more things I'll give you. One, they haven't sized, the total addressable market hasn't been sized properly. They'll give you a big number of 3 billion and you start to say, okay. How, how do you a- feel about that? Uh, that? That's a good point because I, I see that very often where they'll even start with the addressable market and they'll talk about if you know we only get one-tenth of 1%, we're going to make a trillion dollars. Just talk to me about that because I think that is something that the audience, especially people who are pitching for money, they need to hear this and need to hear it often. So I'm going to let you say. It. <laughs> I'm going to let you say I, it. <laughs> so know what the addressable book market is, and what I mean by that is you're telling me it's a three billion dollar addressable market, and you're selling software, and I say what percentage of that addressable market is hardware, and you say forty percent. Well, now you're down to 60% of that addressable market. If I then tell you, what is your focus of your target audience? Is it Fortune 500 companies? Is it, is it SMBs? And you tell me it's Fortune 500. And now I'm taking another 35 or 40% of that addressable market. That's not a $3 billion addressable market. So go in and truly know what the addressable market is. Now, you might expand your business down the road. And I get that. And say, we're starting with the enterprise. We're going to go with that. But there's so much in there that's really not addressable for you so pull it out that's the and how, and how impressed are you by by that aspect of the pitch the addressable market in in relation to the whole the whole presentation i think it tells me if they're detailed oriented or if it's fluff you know have they really dug in i think what founders have to understand is the way they go through pitching us and the way they go through due diligence is how we have, the only really opportunity we have is how they're going to operate their business. Are they buttoned up to the due diligence? Do they have the documents prepared? Do they communicate well? If they are doing that, then how are they running their business? (laughs) Are they able to develop relationships? If they aren't able to go through due diligence and be buttoned up professional, then I got concerns of how they're going to run their business. And I'm not minimizing how hard it is to raise money and run a business. It's impossible. Both are full-time jobs. It's also your auditioning for us. All right. Well, let's let's jump into Marpipe. Marpipe is a, is a company that you led the funding round, and the founder and CEO is Dan Patello. Talk to me. Let us know how you got introduced to them. Great. So we have a paid internship program. I made sure I used the word paid internship program. And so we bring on board twice a year to college students, sometimes MBAs, and they act as associates, you know, in residence with us. So one of them had her, was getting her MBA at Columbia, Paola, and she came across Dan at a Columbia University pitch. And she came to the office the next day. She's like, I met this company. It's in ad tech or MarTech. I know it's your background. I really liked him. You guys should look at it. So Dan came into our office and I immediately loved him young, spirited, enthusiastic. It was just great, great guy. And we started to get to get into his business. And we actually, in our offices, there's whiteboards everywhere. I'm much more, I'm a very big visual learner. 
So we're whiteboarding what his pricing model is, what his go-to-market strategy is. We're asking all these questions. And what I loved about Dan out of the gate was Dan was never getting defensive. He was leaning in. And you're going to hear me say that a lot through this podcast. And he wanted to learn. And he was like, that's a really good point. And he you know, wasn't stubborn. Like, nope, that's my go-to-market strategy. You don't know anything. And we ended up getting to a point with Dan that it was too early. So we passed. But we made some introductions for him. Did you spend much time with, you had mentioned that you spent time with him whiteboarding and, and so on and so forth, but did you spend a lot of time with him and other team members or initially just him? Just him. Okay. Because it was, it was early. So it was just Dan and my team. And so after two or three meetings, we said, really like you. I'm still not convinced it's a product. I think it might be a feature, which pissed him off so much, which was so funny. And you're too early for us. What Dan was great, and this is a huge takeaway for other founders listening to this, is just because someone says no, doesn't mean they're saying no forever. So our last two investments, we said no twice to both founders, Dan being one of them. So we said no. What Dan was great at doing is keeping us informed of how his business was developing, how it was growing. He reached out with questions. You know, Jeff, you talked about this, you know, DSPs. What are you thinking about that? And so we continued to reach out and it allowed us to continue to build a relationship, allow us to continue to see if we invested in Dan, what would it be like? He came in a second time. We passed again. And we so what them. actually what actually was the defining moment <laughs> that right, swayed right. that that swayed Laconia to pull the trigger and say, all right, we're ready to go. <laughs> he, he sent me an update and the revenue had grown substantially into the area we liked. We like companies that are doing about twenty-five to seventy-five thousand dollars a month of recurring revenue. Okay. So it was like so he called he sent me this update. I'm like, whoa, huh. So I called him up, like, do you want to come in and give me and my partners an update? He's like, okay. So he came in, he gave an update on the couch. He leaves. They turned to me like, why are we not doing this deal? And by that point, this is on a Thursday. And he said, listen, I'm pretty much done with the raise. I've got like $200,000 left that's going to be committed next week. And we're closing this up. So I called him like 10 minutes after he left the office. I like, can you come back or can I come back to your office? Long story short, we said, we want to not do a note. We want to do an equity round. Give us two to three weeks to finish due diligence. We want to write you know, a 500000 plus check to you. I know you got 200000 left, but this is the re- rationale. And you know, four weeks later, we closed the deal. Great. There you go. That, that's, you know, that's golden to, to, to people you know, looking to, to raise. So let, let's talk about, <laughs> there's always the good, the bad, the ugly. Let's talk about, were there any sticking points in trying to get the deal closed? Yes. His lawyer was terrible, young, and didn't know venture. So it made it a very, very difficult process. And he understood that. And so we actually, he actually replaced his lawyer right after we closed. But his lawyer wasn't great. And I tell people, and this is for all founders, lawyers are important. I'm not ever minimizing lawyers. But lawyers are there to support you. They aren't there to tell you what to do. It's your business. You're the one that has to deal with the founders, sorry, the, the, the business deals. You're the one that has to deal with the LPs. So if you've got to change something or something financially, the down round or sideways round or whatever, your lawyers aren't having a conversation with the investors. You are. So be very aware of 
you driving what your lawyers should be doing, not allowing your lawyers to tell you what to do. And if you're not yeah. sure, ask other founders because a yeah, lot of right. problems are lawyers are just, you know, listen, rightfully so, they're doing a lot of the early stage, you know, clients. 90% of them aren't going to make it. So they don't know who to commit their time to until you get to like the series A or B. Right. But they yeah, are that, that's a that's a great, great, great point. So let's let's let you know we're we're getting to the end here. So let's talk so to, to let the audience know how they can learn more about you and and Laconia. Obviously, I you know did my own research, and you have a, a lot of great information on your website. But why don't you let them know how they yep. can learn about you and and get a hold of you? That's great. So you can definitely go to our website, laconiacapitalgroup.com. You can follow me on Twitter at jsilverman22. And you can email me at jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, at laconiacapitalgroup.com. We definitely look at all emails. We respond. And we have some great content on our website. And then the last thing we do is we have open office hours every Tuesday from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you go to the website, you can sign up. And it's 30 minutes. It's not a pitch. It's a safe space for you to be able to come in and ask questions about your business. You might be going out for first-time capital, and we give you whatever advice we can give you, and hope that when you able to, when you start to go out to money, that you are in a better position, you know, to have a good first impression. Terrific! Thank you, Jeffrey, and and thanks for joining us today on this episode of Funding and Disrupting. We thank you for you know being incredibly generous with your time and speaking candidly to the audience. For most tech companies, <laughs> funding is always the wild west, <laughs> with plenty of twists and turns and surprises. So it's it's uh, you know invaluable to get the inside story, and we appreciate you sharing your experience. Keith, it was great to be here. I really appreciate the invite. Perfect. And until next time, keep funding and disrupting. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Funding and Disrupting. Don't forget to visit our sponsor, AuraCo.com, to learn more about working directly with Aura Collective's exclusive technology PR team. They'll help you craft your message, get noticed in the press, and help you get your venture to the funding finish line. Again, you can visit them at www.AuraCo.com. Keep funding and keep disrupting.